not only with people trying to get and stay sober, but people that are trying to live in the chaotic, crazy world that we're living in sometimes today. If you can find that inner strength, if you can find a higher power of your understanding, it makes life a lot easier. I don't ask God to do things for me. I ask him for strength to do what he has placed in front of me. Anybody can tap into that. This I say God, it can be whatever your concept is. Mm -hmm. But there's a power out there for everyone. I I heard heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collective voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, an alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Hey, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam, an alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Sam, it's a new month. Guess what that means? Mm, The candy of the month has arrived. (laughs) You get candy of the month? No, but I'm giving you a hint. Okay, from now on, I'm going to send you a different piece of candy every month. (laughs) It's a great service. I like these monthly services, don't you? And one of them is the Grapevine Magazine. The new Grapevines are here! You know that I love, in the magazine, the meeting spaces that they always have photos of in If Walls Could Talk. Well, we get a proof before the text is filled in because we, you know, we get to see the magazine and they they do the layout and it has all the photos, but instead of text, they have this filler text. So in the captions in the photos, it reads like, Takis omnius decidus restrum, resquis nonsensus. That sounds like a Harry Potter spell, but I gotta tell you, my mind went to bed knobs and broomsticks. Traguna, McCoy's, Tricorum Sadis D. Somebody repeated that with me. They did it. You know they did. <laughs> well, this photo that has this odd filler text underneath it, it has a photo of like these lozenge-shaped sofas with tiny tables in front of them. And you can see a big picture window and outside, it's the middle of the ocean. So it's got to be a cruise ship meeting, friends of Bill meeting. I love those. Those are so much fun. Yeah. If you're ever on a cruise ship, look on the schedule and for a friends of Bill, there's always one there. And it's an AA meeting you can go to. Yeah, and sometimes it's just a handful of people. I've been to some that were over, like, around 30 people that showed up. Oh, wow. And uh, it's a blast. And the cool thing is, is making that connection early on. I might not run into them again for, like, conversation, but we still catch each other's eyes across the way. And it's just that little nod of a check-in of, like, you good? Yeah, I'm good. You good? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, you're a member of that secret society, Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> that's it, that's it. In the news section, we find the Literature Committee is seeking stories. Yeah, they're updating the pamphlet so you think you're different. They're seeking new stories from AA members whose experience reflects differences containing multiple factors. As Jerry R., the appointed committee member on the Trustees Literature Committee, who's helping with the revision effort, tells Grapevine, 
We're looking for stories from members who have more than one barrier to overcome in order to feel in the middle of AA. Send in your story by April 30, 2024 at aagrapevine.org/share. Every issue has a main topic, and then there are other sections in the magazine. John, the editor, told me that he always tries to balance it so that if a reader doesn't want to read about the main topic, like it just doesn't appeal, it's okay. There's other stories, and they're going to be entirely different. You know, the other sections, stories are steps and traditions, sponsorship. And our personal stories, for example. And wits in. Oh, yeah, wits in. Hey, Can't forget that. How many alcoholics does it take to change a light bulb? Hmm, how many? Just one. The alcoholic holds the light bulb steady, and the whole world revolves around him. That sounds like you've got experience doing that. <laughs> I'll hold it. <laughs> But the main theme of the February issue is getting through tough times. In the story, So Worth Living, Sarah B. writes of a car crash that changed her life. And she was sober at the time. We rolled over three times, end to end. In a matter of minutes, I lost my career, my spouse's career, our home, which had required two incomes to pay the mortgage, and my credit rating. While hospitalized, I failed to pay one month's worth of bills, and the late notices went into my credit rating, which fell through the floor. Our new car was demolished, and I went through all that sober. I'm writing this now with 33 years and counting. Wow. Yeah. Life happens. (laughs) It does. In We Cherish Each Day, Dave A. writes about hearing a speaker at an AA meeting talk about her cancer diagnosis and how she was going through it sober. He had just been diagnosed with cancer 24 hours earlier. Coincidence? You know, has something like that ever happened to you, Sam? I've had quite a few coincidences show up. Nothing that are of that level, but but absolutely yeah. where someone started sharing about something that I needed to hear about. Well, on the week that my mother died, I was out of town in Colorado. I was upset. I went to a meeting and the chairperson opened up the meeting and said, I just want to say that I'm going to dedicate this meeting tonight to my mother who died a year ago today. And I was, felt like I belonged and I needed to be there. It was like what I needed. I've never heard anybody dedicate a meeting to their mother who died yeah. before. So th- those things do happen. It's In the magazine, this is a beautiful story of friendship and how to live life cherishing each day. AA is amazing. In Walking Through Fear, Jim C. talks about living with Parkinson's disease, taking and fulfilling his AA commitments despite the challenges. Those commitments have kept him sober. All these stories lifted me up. I know in the time I've been sober, I've lost family members and friends. I've had strokes. I've had major surgery. I've been supported through all the bad times that life brings by the tools and by the fellowship. I wouldn't give it up for anything, and certainly not for just a can of beer. Absolutely not. What we got here is so much better. Sam, who's our guest today? Well, Don, today's guest is Lisa A. from San Antonio, Texas. 
Her article is All I Had to Do Was Surrender on page 44 of the February 2024 issue. All right. All I had to do. That's all. Just surrender. That's all. That's all. Looking forward to this. But first. Hey, Sam. How can I support the Grapevine podcast? Since the Grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazines, on our website, or even in the podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept contributions from AA members. Wait, what? If you want to support this podcast, visit aagrapevine.org and click on store or subscribe in the new Grapevine app. Hi, my name is Lisa. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is November the 12th, 1988. And it's God's grace, the fellowship, and the program of AA that have kept me sober that long. 1988. What was going on that year that made you want to quit drinking? I had originally stopped drinking at the age of 24 uh, in 1980. And I tried, you know, to work the program. I had difficulty becoming a part of. I lived in a rural area and I was in the Navy and I transferred and that didn't help. Mm -hmm. So I arrived in Oceana and work came first. I didn't put my sobriety first. So anyway, I relapsed after six and a half years, but I sobered up again, August the 12th, 1988. What was different this time in the when you, in in 1988? What changed? Well, I had been searching for a higher power, but I had never really been able to tap into that. My ex-husband, uh, we had just moved to New Orleans, and my ex-husband went out on a binge. I was sitting alone in my apartment. They just came over me to surrender. And I said, okay, God, you know, I'll go back, but this time you're coming with me. And then I just sat there in the dark for an hour. And I asked him, you know, what should I do about my husband? And I waited and about an hour went by and I had the thought, pick up the phone book, which I did. And the first motel I called, he wasn't there. The second motel, he answered. So we made arrangements to get him to the hospital the next day. And so I went to, to a meeting the next day. Well, did you feel like you were uh, talking to God at that time? Absolutely. Did you have a relationship with God before that? You said you were searching, and that was the first time you felt connected? Well, I just didn't understand that God had been working in my life all along. Hmm. Because I, uh, you know, would frequently ask for things to happen in my life and they wouldn't happen. I didn't quite understand that. When I was going through different difficult situations, I felt like I was alone and I wasn't. Because it took me looking back over my, really my entire life and I could see where God had just grabbed a hold of me and yanked me out of difficult situations that I placed myself in. He was always there saving me, but I didn't surrender to him and 
turn my life over and seek his will for me instead of just doing whatever crazy thing I decided to do. Well, but what does that mean, turn your life over and surrender to him? I mean, how does that play out in a practical way? What did you do? What I did was I went back to AA. I went to two meetings a day. There was a man there by the name of Cecil. And he said, uh, if anybody's struggling with finding a higher power, you can steal mine. Go ahead and take my higher power and use it. And that struck me. And so I'm like, okay, if Cecil can stay sober, I can stay sober. (laughs) So once again, I just opened myself up and tried to, you know, listen to God's nudges and go in the direction that he was trying to get me to go that was healthy for me and so that I could be useful to other people. How can you tell that it's God telling you to do something or it's just your mind, your ego saying you really need to do this? It's pretty simple, really, because if I'm receiving an intuitive thought Mm -hmm. to be of service to others, I know that's God. Before I attempt to be of service, I'll say a prayer with God, asking him to guide me and share the words that I need to share with this person. Uh, You know, over the years, I've sponsored a lot of people. I've told my story quite a few times. You know, I've attended a lot of different meetings all across the country. So God always places people in my life at the exact moment that I need them or they need me. And it's pretty special when we are uh, aware enough to see it, right? Because I think that was one of the things for me that, you know, once I got my feet under me in recovery and I was able to kind of pay attention to what was going on, when I looked back, like you're saying, you saw that you were taken care of all along. When I looked back, I saw all these places that I just couldn't see before. Exactly. My whole world was drink so you don't have to remember and so you don't have to feel pain. I didn't know it was alcohol that was causing me the pain. Right. Alcohol was the one thing holding me together. It's keeping me together and tearing me apart at that point. Yeah. Well, it it didn't. I only drank for seven and a half years. I've heard other females, we seem to go downhill a little bit quicker, some of us. You know, I was only 24 years old. I'd been drinking alcoholically since I was 17, but my life was in shambles. I started losing jobs, and I was just emotionally, I was a wreck, and I was alone. I decided to join the Navy at that point. Because I knew I needed structure. I had to get involved in something that I couldn't quit, that I'd be held accountable. And that's what I did. I joined the Navy. And within, let's see, I went through boot camp in about October of 79. And I was in treatment in August of 80. (laughs) Didn't last long, did it? No. No. But treatment was new in the Navy at that point in time. So did this hurt your career or were you, no. did you stay in the Navy? I stayed in the Navy. Uh, it absolutely did not hurt my career. In fact, let's see, I was stationed in Memphis for a while 
and I was kind of the poster girl for sobriety. They gave me a collateral duty as uh, the go-to if you were having a problem with alcohol. And then, uh, you know, I'd interview people and then give the commanding officer a recommendation as to whether or not I thought they could go through outpatient treatment or, or if they needed inpatient care. I bet you got to help wow. a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, I, I've been fortunate. Were there regular meetings in the Navy that you could access? Well, it depended upon the duty station. You had to tap into meetings out in the community. Hmm. So it depended on where you were stationed. You weren't going to find meetings on base or anything like that. I tried to start a meeting on base once oh. down in Puerto Rico. Uh, we were located real close to a uh, where the ships pulled in, where they docked. Uh-huh. You know, so I got some people from the ships that came and attended the meeting. And yeah. I've done what I could. What did you do when you didn't have meetings to go to, to stay sober? Well, that was the problem. <laughs> I worked. I worked. Yeah. Uh, I was extremely successful. I worked very long hours. The Navy loved me because they could give me a lot of work to do and know that it was going to get done. So they kind of overloaded me. Mm. And once that train started going i really couldn't stop it but the, i was fortunate in at one duty station in memphis the commanding officer was a recovering alcoholic oh nice the person that was the senior over the enlisted people i was enlisted i was a hospital corpsman that man was also in recovery and so I had, you know, these people around me and we were talking program stuff but I wasn't getting to actual meetings. Well, that helps because right. I'm not alone. Right. And I can't tell you when I've been in, how many times I've been in a stressful situation. And then just knowing that finding someone else in AA, there's, oh, okay, it's going to be all right. <laughs> right. Get through this. Yeah. Lisa, you said that you had been to meetings all around the States, right? Yes. Is there one that stands out that for some reason it struck you? Well, really, I think the first meeting I attended, even though I couldn't share in the meeting, I cried through the entire meeting. You know, they had a meeting at the treatment center. And I'd say that that meeting struck me, that I knew I didn't have to do it alone and that these people were doing it. So why couldn't I? And I could live a happier life alcohol-free because I, I figured out alcohol was the problem towards the end. And I had to change. I didn't know how to change. I had no plan. Yeah. You know, I had no idea how to live a healthy, normal life. And I had no idea how to live without alcohol. And so you wound up working the steps, yes? Yes. And that kind of gives us that roadmap. <laughs> That's the change. <laughs> exactly. Over the years since I've moved a lot, you know, I've had different people that have helped me. Different sponsors have helped me work the steps. I've gone back over the steps quite a few times. Each time I got a new sponsor, we went back through the steps so that they could get to know me. So I yeah. so recommend that. I have pulled that yeah. into my life as well. If you travel, there's a way to make it work, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Lisa, so you've been doing this for a while. 
since 1988. Can you encapsulate your recovery history? What's a summary of that? Well, when I came back to the program in 1988, I got busy. I started uh, making coffee and cleaning ashtrays. And then people forced me into service positions because I was scared to death. I didn't want to mess up. They told me I couldn't. So (laughs) what kind of service positions? I served as a secretary and then they moved me up to GSR. Mm -hmm. Um, This was in New Orleans. And when I left New Orleans and moved to Topeka, Kansas, you know, I already had that ingrained in me. So I continued to hold service positions. And by that point, I was sober long enough to start sponsoring people. But being the new kid on the block, when I first got to Topeka, about eight women asked me to sponsor them. And I told them that I couldn't do that, but I would sponsor the first three people that asked me. And if they were willing, they could come to my house for an AA meeting once a week. So we started up in AA meeting. I love those house meetings. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. You know, that was the foundation. I remarried. My husband doesn't drink and he's very supportive. He's hauled me to meetings and attended some of the open meetings with me. That support system is very important. I was single for 10 years. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't get involved with anybody that was drinking. You know, it just would not work for me. And how is AA a part of your life today? What's a regular week for you like? Well, I spend a lot of time going to the doctor right now. Oh, I, I go to that, that one AA meeting a week. The rest of the week, my husband and I are spending time together. I play pool once a week, and I do that at a pool hall. So the focus is pool. It's not on drinking. So most people are drinking water. They're not drinking a lot. And uh, (laughs) in Texas, pool is a big deal. So everybody's real serious about uh, winning and getting better. And so it's kind of like a second family that I've found. Friends that, you know, we all have a common interest. And I think that no matter what it is, as long as we can find that group of people that support us, accept us for who we are with all our flaws and shortcomings, uh, it's good. That's how I make friends today. Well, yeah, you know, working the steps and, and, and being a part of Fellowship of AA has enabled me to be a part of my community. Right. I really focus a lot on how I can be of service. I have to come up with creative ways to do that today. I am the secretary for my home group. That's something that I could do. You know, I have a computer and I'm there every week. But like I I wouldn't volunteer to be treasurer because I'm not that financial. I wouldn't volunteer to be treasurer either. And I wouldn't volunteer to be GSR again or DCM because that would require long hours and travel. And did you were you DCM? Yeah, that's a district committee member who is the kind of chairperson for the local district. Right. Well, and also having served in those positions, especially when we go down the triangle to district and area, et cetera, it's nice to stay out of the way once we've done it to let other people do it too. Very true. But there's other ways to serve. 
Sure enough. And one of them is writing, uh, submitting an article <laughs> to the Grapevine magazine. That's right. What was going on there that you sent this in and was it hard to do? No. <laughs> <laughs> no That's the not, great answer. No. <laughs> it, it wasn't. I encourage everyone to do it. Um, you know, I took a risk. I guess it paid off. What was the impetus to do it? Why did you write an article for the Grapevine? Because it was a way that I could share my experience, strength, and hope with other people. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I've had to become creative in how I do that. God always places people in my life that need help. I can either, you know, accept the assignment or refuse and not grow spiritually, not grow in my program. That's my real focus now. I try real hard to be of service to people directly, wherever I can, family members or pool players or other AA members. You know, that's the focus. Anywhere in life. Oh, yeah. Our being of service is not just within the fellowship. It's everywhere, right? Yes. So I do what I can, you know, whatever I can do to be of help. My intention is always to want to help someone live a happier, healthier life. You know, right in the beginning, when I first started sponsoring people, there was some ego there. And Mm -hmm. I was worried, like, oh, goodness, can I help this person? And, you know, what happens if they drink again? Is it going to be my fault? You know, God said, Lisa, don't be ridiculous. I've got it. And I was able to just sit down. Like I said, I always say a prayer before I talk to people that uh, are having some type of problem. And I keep them in my prayers. It's hard having sponsees. It's hard when they drink again, not to feel in some way like if I could have said this or if I could have said that, maybe I could have gotten through but with the experience of doing it enough times, it becomes clear that all I can do is share my experience. Somebody can listen and follow or not. Exactly. And my ex-husband really helped me with that. He had a serious alcohol problem and was a binge drinker. We were married for 20 years, and I always supported his efforts to uh, get so to stay sober. He would get sober, but he couldn't maintain long-term sobriety. That must have been frustrating. Well, it's stressful when someone you love is having difficulty and you're bringing him to the people that can help him, because I couldn't. I mean, I would be supportive. And then to see him fail over and over and over again. And so I was constantly focused on staying sober myself. And seeing his alcoholism, that was a big motivator. Mm. It was very sad. He ended up committing suicide at home. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, and it's it happens. I've had other friends in AA that have committed suicide and other friends that I know in the Navy. But Lisa, if somebody commits suicide, uh-huh. how do you deal with that yourself? to not take it on because it seems like it was particularly with suicide just having any contact with someone who commits suicide there's a feeling of i should have said this if only i could have said that how do you stop that tape loop because we don't have control over other people and they're going to do what they're going to do but how do how do you deal with that 
Well, right at the end, I mean, we had gone through a lot of marital counseling and one-on-one counseling and all kinds of group therapy and that type of thing. And, you know, like the last encounter I had with him, because right at the end, he went to his room and got a bunch of booze and drank and took a bunch of pills. But right before he did that, he came out of his room and and I met him in the hallway and I'm like, you know, please let me take you to the hospital. And he said, no, you know, I can't do that right now. His last words to me were, you know, I'm sorry I wasn't a better husband. I was able to say that's okay. And he knew I meant it because, you know, we had been through that whole thing. So other than having panic attacks when it actually happened, um, sure. even though we were divorced, we remained friends for 10 years. So during that time where, uh, where you're, you're going through all those things that we do after someone has died, did you, uh, did you lean on the fellowship? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I leaned on the fellowship, a lot of prayer and meditation. One sponsor years back instilled in me the belief that it'll be okay, no matter what it is, as long as you don't drink. Mm -hmm. And that runs through my head whenever I'm in a difficult situation, because it was very difficult. Yeah, you're having panic attacks. (laughs) Right. There were a lot of tears. I did have a problem with panic attacks. So I went to the VA to get help with that one-on-one counseling because a lot was going on in my life at that point in time. I ended up losing the house and losing my vehicle. I wasn't always comfortable in my own skin, but I knew that it would be okay, that it would pass as long as I keep putting one foot in front of the other. It sounds like taking action is surrendering. All you had to do is surrender to the idea that I'm not okay and I need to reach out and get help where it's available. Absolutely. I leaned heavily on a lot of members of AA. I shed a lot of tears in, in some meetings. If I was having problems, if I was felt like I was getting ready to have a panic attack and I was headed to a meeting, as soon as I'd walk in, I'd grab a girl and say, please come pray with me. You know, it's happening again. So it it took work to get to the point of really being able to let go of the whole thing. Calamity will be matched with serenity. The reason it was a little bit more difficult, because his mother felt like it was my fault, that I could have done something, that I should have told her, and I just, I wasn't taking that on. Because I'd spent 20 years, and I did everything I could to help him find what he needed because it takes work you know you have to work at it it's not oh okay i go to meetings and i'm sober that's not it at all it's about working the steps it's about keeping that conscious contact with the higher power This has been wonderful. Thanks for joining us today. 
Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm really glad. And thanks for contributing to the grapevine. Oh, you're welcome. Grapevine is looking for CPC stories. What is CPC? Cooperation with the professional community. If you have provided doctors, therapists, clergy, lawyers, teachers, parole officers, and other professionals information about AA, then you have done CPC work. And we want your stories about how you got into that kind of service, what it's like, what you've learned, and how it's enhanced your sobriety. Alternatively, did a professional help you find your way to AA? That's the other side of CPC work. Or are you a professional who found out about AA from members doing CPC work? Stories can be from 300 words to 1,800 words in length. Please send your stories to aagrapevine.org backslash share. Stories are due by April 1st, 2024. Say, Mom, did you go to church when you were a girl? Yes, son, regularly. Well, then, I bet it won't do me any good either. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Search AA Grapevine in the App Store on your phone or find AA Grapevine on Instagram and YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, search online for Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. That was freaking amazing. (laughs) 